You know, sometimes things just don't go your way. Each one of us can reflect back, and we have plans, or we have expectations. No matter if it was the first day you walked into grammar school, or high school, or college. Now, some of you can think back that far. Okay. But the truth is, every time we go somewhere, we do something, we go to a family gathering, we head off to work, we have these expectations. But sometimes they just don't go your way. You know, 14-year-old Mary is about to give birth. Just about everything in her world has changed drastically over the last nine months. Everything has been contrary to her expectations. The Kiddushin, or the betrothal, Back in that culture, as you remember, it was something that, well, was agreed upon for one year. The bride-to-be would be able to prepare herself for this wedding celebration. And the husband-to-be would be working on their home. And for one year, there would be a lot of celebration and encouragement. And, whoa! Mary found out pretty quickly in that whole thing that she was pregnant. Pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The wedding plans that she had, well, they didn't happen. When Joseph found out and heard from God, well, they moved in together. And Joseph began to protect this young lady Her friendships at this time, they had to go south. All the girls she used to play with, all the times that she had, very awkward now. Her parents even, how how could you do this? Really, only two people on the whole planet believed what Mary had said. And that was Mary and Joseph. Mary's Christmas continues to befuddle her and to intrigue her. Now we come to a very familiar text. A text so many of you read every single year at this time. A text that you have heard in song. A text that, well, sometimes is so familiar that we forget how powerful and unique this is. But there's a birth And then there are some guests. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for today. We are so grateful that we can gather together as your family, as your community, and reflect on you, your amazing love, and the way that you desire deeply to gift us and empower us. God, would you talk to us today? We're we're all ears, Father, in your name. Amen. You know, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If not, the words are going to be up on the screen. But Luke is one of the Gospels. It's near the end of the Bible. And you can get to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start off reading verse 1 through verse 7. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, declared that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. 
This was the first census that when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All registered to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. You know, Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem. You know, once they heard that they were going to be the earthly parents of the Messiah, the Son of God, we already know that they understood the Scriptures. We already know they had a tremendous relationship with God. We understand that they were obedient in this whole area, but i got to believe there probably were some prophecies that slipped through their fingers. So as soon as all this began to get clear to them, I'm sure they started asking questions. Well, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? Or I think I remember the rabbi talking about that. Well, there's a prophecy back in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And this prophet talked about the Messiah coming 400 years before the Messiah and that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So this actually probably wasn't news. Someday they had to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem because that's where the Son of God would be born. I'm pretty sure Mary didn't have the whole picture when she said in Luke chapter 1, I'm your Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true, God. At that moment, she had just heard this. At that moment, that was a gut response. Lord, if you say something, I want to do it. That's what makes Mary so amazing. But as the days and the weeks and the months and the travel and the pregnancy developed, oh, I'm just not sure. How many times do you tell this story that an angel came and really This is the Son of God that's growing. Wow. Mary's faith grew as God's plan became clearer and clearer. We know that the trip took a normal person about three days to travel. I can't imagine how long it took for Mary, being close to giving birth, how long. But one thing is very clear that there actually are a few details, a very few details, that surrounds this king's birth. All right, now kids and parents, if you want to, like, jump in on this one, okay? But we're going to have a little bit of a response. When I get to certain parts, I'm going to say, didn't see that one coming, All right? And so what I'd like you to do is repeat after me. It's absolutely proper in church today. Okay, and if you were probably in a different culture, you'd probably be saying this a lot, you know. But the truth is, when we get to this place, we're going to say, didn't see that one coming. Can you repeat after me? 
Didn't see that one. Oh, this was very weak. I, I know, I, it's early, it's, it's a little bit, but, but I, I need a little more gusto. Can we do this? Ready? Didn't see this one. Oh, <laughs> can't even say it right. Okay, we're going to do it again because your leader is pretty pathetic at this moment and can't even say it. Ready? Didn't see that one coming. Beautiful. We're going to be saying that throughout our time. But you know what? There's very few details around this king's birth. Every one of you know, whether you read fairy tales or not, when kings are born, or princesses, prince, when a prince <laughs> is born, all right, it's a big deal. There's all kinds of pomp and circumstance. This is, this is not just something that's hidden. It's not just something, oh, by, by the way, the prince was born the other day. You know, it, it just didn't happen that way. But it's so odd. It's so odd. The King of Kings, the Messiah, the Lord of Lords come. And the scriptures, well, it came time to give birth. So Mary gave birth. Whoa, Mary. That, that was pretty exciting. I think many of you remember the firstborn, if you have a firstborn. And you remember, you were so excited, many of you. You made sure your room was ready. You made sure there was furniture. You went crazy over there. This was not just something, you know, that kind of happened. Oh, by the way, gave birth to Joe. No way! This was an amazing thing that happened. Not a whole lot of detail. The scriptures say she wrapped him in strips of cloth. Now, that's a little odd to us. We've never gone to a hospital and said, oh, your baby's wrapped with strips of cloth, you know? It's just not that cool. But back in this culture, it was very normal. That's what happened. They wanted to make sure the limbs were protected, and, and they would wrap a baby. So she gives birth to this baby, a very normal birth, and, and he gets wrapped in strips of cloth. But then the Scriptures say, she laid him in a manger, a stall, a trough. Whoa. Now, every manger we see at Christmas time is pretty clean. It's nice and wood, or maybe it's concrete, or maybe there's some snow on it. I'm, I'm not exactly sure at this moment, depending on where you put it. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of a nice deal. It's kind of a nice bed. But nobody in their right mind would put a firstborn baby in a manger. Like animals eat from a manger. They slobber in a manger. They blow, you know, I mean, I don't want to get too gross here, but this is not really a good place to put a firstborn. But that's what she did. Wow. Laid in a dirty manger. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, we didn't. You know what? There was no lodging. Probably, as you kind of read the scriptures and maybe even talk about this, we all have this scene of this like evil innkeeper, right? And there's Mary just about to give birth. I mean, it is happening. Joseph's pleading, and the innkeeper goes, Away! You cannot give birth in my place. And we think, like, what is the problem here? 
you know. It's probably not too accurate. Probably he went to a relative. Probably there were always guest rooms, and probably the guest room was filled. It wasn't uncommon at that time that the buildings were two stories. On the upper level, you lived. and the lower level, you actually put your animals. So it's probably one of those things where it was unfortunate. And I bet the owner or the relative or the innkeeper, whatever you want to do, walked Mary and Joseph down and said, this is the best I can do. It's a little bit of a shelter, but you're not out in the cold. God was born in obscurity and poverty. He came in the flesh to a messy place. Didn't see that one coming. You guys are getting good now, I'm telling you. But it was true. In first chapter of John, John writes this, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes about the Lord Jesus. And he says this, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. And that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How odd. None of us would want that. We're not even king. We're not even the king of kings. But God chose a plan using some ordinary people, having the Son of God born in most humble and obscure places. You know, Charlie Brown and the Sidewalk Prophets will help us understand the next part in Luke chapter 2. Let's watch. Maybe we won't exactly watch at this moment, but I bet we'll be able to watch very soon, okay? Let's do this. We'll come back to that because I think it's important for us to be able to... Lights, please. I didn't. (laughs) And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You know, would you stand with me? And if you know the... Go ahead, you can keep going. Stand with me. And if you know the song, you can sing it. And if you have some of those bells, shake them. The shepherds came to see the baby stood by his mother's side Here lay the Savior inside a manger Oh, what a glorious night Oh, what a glorious night I hear the angels sing
Thank you. You can be seated. Not exactly sure what happened just there, but I appreciate you cooperating. All right. You know, the shepherds never, never would have made it to the guest list. They were the lowest rung of the social ladder. They were shunned by the rich and the religious. They were uneducated and unskilled increasingly viewed as dishonest, unreliable, unsavory characters who literally could not be able to be called into a courtroom to testify. You know, guarding the sheep, as they normally did when this angel appears, didn't see that one coming. You know, the angel stood among them. And God's glory blazed around them. And the scriptures say that the shepherds feared a great fear. So many different translations. They were scared out of their wits. They'd never seen that. They were casually kind of just maybe even dozing off. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up. Not only that, but the angel speaks. Didn't see that one coming. And he talks. He says, don't be afraid, which is a great first line. He says, I bring you good news. And this good news is going to bring you joy. Our Savior, our Messiah, Redeemer, our King is born. At this point, I'm sure the shepherds were scratching their heads. Why are you telling us? We're we're not the greatest people to spread this word or to tell others or even to go experience this. And the angel said, you'll recognize Jesus. He'll be wrapped in strips of cloth, just like normal babies are. But he'll be laying in a manger. Whoa. Now a bunch of angels show up. Didn't see that one coming. And as these angels again, the shepherds are just mesmerized. They're singing glory to God and shouting peace. The shepherds weren't afraid at this time. In fact, what they did is, let's, get, let's go watch. Let's, let's go check this out. This is amazing. It's amazing. You know, before I actually leave this part, I think we need to look at the angel's message. Because the angel's message is the gospel. It's the good news. You see, man had rebelled and had broken his relationship with God since the beginning of time. And in a place where God loved us so very, very, very much, he wanted to reconnect us. He wanted to have a relationship with us. He wanted to do life with every one of us. But sin kind of blocked that relationship. So he had a plan. And his plan was an odd plan to save this world. It was to send his son, his sinless son, 
as a baby and to live among us and to eventually die on a cross to shed his blood as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin so that our relationship might be restored and we might have an opportunity to live abundant life, eternal life, and have fellowship with God forever and ever. You see, Israel understood God as Savior. They didn't understand all of the scenarios, but I love when David, King David, writes this in 2 Samuel. He says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me. And my place of safety, he is my refuge, my Savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise. He has saved me from my enemies. You know, throughout all of history, saints are redeemed the same way, whether it was before or after the cross. Those Old Testament saints believed in a coming Messiah who would someday take away their sins. As we today, after the cross, put our faith and trust in the Messiah who died on the cross in order to pay our debt. And this is good news. It's good news now and it was good news back then. Because they were overwhelmed and oppressed and needed a Savior. In Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6, the prophet writes this about Jesus. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. You know, when the angels shouted this message, it is the only place in all of the scriptures where these three words are used. Savior, Messiah slash Redeemer, and King. The gospel brings joy. The gospel is good news. And sometimes, because of, well, our culture, we forget how good it was. That Jesus came born so that he might be our example and our sacrifice. You know, the shepherds respond, by the way, how everyone who comes to God responds. You know, I know that many of your faces are still new. But I know that you're here today, some of you with family. Some of you are not part of our fellowship here, our community, and we're so glad you're here. But the truth is, is that, that God loves us so very, very, very much that he sent Jesus so that we might have a Savior. The shepherds heard that. They heard from the angel. They heard God's word. They listened to the good news. And they scurried off in spite of their social status to find this king. They heard God's word and responded. They found Mary and Joseph. I guess I don't exactly know how big and how long they searched. How big Bethlehem was. But I know this, is that it probably wasn't hard to find a baby 
in a manger. The scripture doesn't say what they did or how they responded. They know they were social outcasts. Did they cower in? Did they come running in? Were they just shouting right there? We know this is that when they left, they told their story to everyone. Everyone was astonished. They were the spokespeople of God. These social outcasts. God chose them to be able to share the message of hope. I didn't see that one coming. They left glorifying and praising God. They were new men going back to a same old job. You see what happens is that when God, well, becomes part of our lives, when we receive the grace that God gives us, our lives change. And you still may be a carpenter. You still may be a teacher. And you can put in whatever you want to put in. But when Jesus becomes part of your life, your perspective in life changes. They tell their story to everyone. And then the scriptures say this. Is that Mary pondered. Although, again, these shepherds were excited, they were telling everybody, and and folks were surprised. The scriptures say that Mary thought about all these things. She pondered. Basically, just about everything happened contrary to her expectations. She didn't see most of this coming. She trusted a God with a plan that seemed odd to her. But she had the opportunity to be part of God's plan. And in spite of the persecution or the ridicule or any of the other things that happened both to Mary and Joseph, my guess is is that she was thrilled more times than not that she had this privilege. I'm sure she was scared. She was filled with hope, but so grateful to be part of God's mission. You know, we have spent four weeks focusing on God. A God who passionately loves us. A God who is worthy to be obeyed even when His ways and His plans don't fit into ours. We've also focused on Mary and Joseph. And if you've let this sit in, that these are teenagers, probably a 14-year-old girl and a 17- or 18-year-old man, Two teenagers who trusted God, who embraced His mission and brought God glory in spite of the scorn or the hardships of following an amazing God. You know, if I'm honest, I'm overwhelmed by the gospel. I'm overwhelmed by this good news. I can't believe that God would love every one of us so much that he would give up the throne room 
in order to live among us and suffer and die for me. My question to you is, after this series, do you know our good, good Father? Do you have a relationship with our Lord? Because you know what? The truth is, life's pretty scary. We never know what tomorrow's going to bring, much less a week or two. We never understand all the situations or the circumstances. But how wonderful to have a relationship with the Creator, to walk with Him, to trust Him, to listen to Him as He prompts you, as He talks to you, and to be able to trust Him when maybe some crazy plans are being revealed to you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you um, amazed, to be quite honest, of all the things that you've done for us. But this one kind of sticks out, God. Why you did it this way, we still don't know. But we know this, is that you love us. You desire deeply a relationship with us. And you use some humble poor, ordinary teenagers to do your plan to bring about the greatest salvation. Thanks, God. We celebrate you. We celebrate our Savior. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.